Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burse, LCSW, and I am joined today by Daniela Coates. She is going to share her journey with us as a biological sibling growing up with siblings in care. Um, and now you might even already know her on Instagram. She is at with underscore siblings. So thank you for being here, Daniela. And can you just give us a little bit of background information about who you are and how you came into this space? Yeah, so yeah, it started when I was around in middle school. My parents were hoping to adopt, and that's how they started their journey. And I'll speak to this from my perspective, right? Because that's how I lived it as a child. You know, I didn't live it as a parent or an adult. So they were pursuing adoption, um, matched adoption specifically. And so, again, that's a different experience. I have both. I have foster care and matched adoption experience from a bio kids perspective. So our family was matched with some kiddos and to leave out all the specific details and, you know, all of that, it actually ended in adoption disruption. So the adoption was not finalized, but they did not stay with our family permanently. And as a kid, that was, there were, there's a lot there, (laughs) a lot packed into that. And so just kind of as a professional, like sidebar, as a professional, we know an adoption disruption is a tragedy, right? We know that like as a parent and as a human that can carry a lot of shame. And so I don't bring shame to the table as part Mm -hmm. of this conversation. You know, I don't think that that should be a part of it, but I just want to acknowledge that, you know, adoption disruption is never the goal, right? That's not, it's not something to cheer for. It's a tragedy, but anyway, so our family took some time and then my parents decided, well, we're already licensed. Why don't we help some kiddos? You know, that was kind of their, their hope would be. And so that's, that's what our family uh, did. They had, they fostered for around eight years. Adoption was not their goal at that point then. They were just helping kiddos to get to whatever was next. And so they had, they had longer, we had kiddos with us for longer periods of time. So they weren't really what we didn't have a lot of, yeah, they were longer placements. So all that to say, um, as my perspective as a kiddo, eventually my parents did adopt. It was kind of the last thing that they did when I was just about to get married. And I was kind of examining my life as I'm going into college and that sort of thing. And okay, what do I do with all this experience? How can it be put to use? And so that's where I decided that social work made sense for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not alone in that. There are quite a few bio kids that that's how they find themselves in a helping profession. That's not always the case, but a lot of bio kids do find themselves in that uh, position. So I don't know how much you want me to say about myself or my journey. Um, I, I worked for a child placing agency for a few years and of course had parents asking me about, hey, we've got bio kids. What do we do? How can mm-hmm. we help them? And uh, at that time, like I just didn't really have the capacity to develop things to help them. And then after a couple of years, I started a support group for bio kids at that agency. And so that's kind of where I started serving families in that way. 
but it was a free service basically provided by the agency. And so when I no longer was working there anymore, um, because I adopted my kiddos, <laughs> that kind of stopped. And so there's, there was kind of this gap where I wasn't meeting the needs of, or, or, you know, supporting or advocating for bio kids and supporting foster families. But now I'm in a, in a place where I've been able to, to do that again. So it's mm. been really great. That's amazing. I love how, I mean, I do, I do think you're right. that so many, you know, bio kids, but also just like, I think in social work in general, there's always like some backstory and be like, yeah. how did you come to be a therapist? How did you come? And you're like, well, it all started when, um, but I love that. And I think it's so amazing. And I'm so excited that you kind of chose that group to really speak to and serve that bio kids and families who are, I mean, to me, when I hear people who are prospective foster parents or prospective adoptive parents, number one concern is like, what about my bio kids? And that's like so valid. I want to totally validate that for people. But like, what do you say to someone who who has those same concerns and what kind of, how do you use your own lived experience to speak to that um, concern of theirs? Yeah. So I do cover like in, in one of my trainings, I cover like kind of some of the positives and some of the negative possible outcomes. So I never say that all of these things are going to happen, right? Because people want to know. They want to kind of have it all laid out for them. What are some of the things that could happen, whether that be good or, or not great? And parents probably don't love it when I'm, I don't give, I won't tell them what the right answer is because it's not, I don't, it's not for me to decide, you know? Um, I don't know your family dynamics. I don't know your kiddos. I don't know, you know, I, I can't speak to your journey. And so I could only speak from my own experience, right? And I can only tell parents, what research says or, you know, what trends are, but I just try to really provide people with the information like, Hey, these are some possibilities, right? Your kids could be perfectly well-adjusted. They could never complain about it. They really could be like just perfectly fine through the adjustment and the process. And then there are kiddos who may not do well, you know, and they may need help and the family may need to take a step back to figure out if they're really able to keep going. And so, but you just really, you can't always know. And so I think that that's where it, it comes back to child placing agencies, the system in general to support families. Because I think that sometimes we push, hey, we need more foster parents. Hey, we need more adoptive parents. There are kids waiting to be adopted. Hey, there's kids sleeping in, in CPS offices. But then when we get the family's license, I'm speaking very generally, but when we get the family's license, then what? You know, and I know, I know you support right? You're, you are actively supporting those parents because you know that there's a gap. And so I kind of feel the same way. Where is the gap in the support that we've left families? And I think that this is one of those places that if families are really, truly aware of, I think, the possibilities of what things could look like, I think we would see more retention mm-hmm. and families able to really serve kids for longer. I love that you said that because I feel the same way. I think we do a huge disservice as those who have, as as folks and families who have had foster care experience or adoptive experience when we like sugarcoat and because we want more people to come in. I'm like, I think it's just the opposite. We need to be so honest about our experiences. And I always tell people to like, hear as many stories as you possibly can. That's another reason I love what you're doing because really seldom do we get to hear from bio kids. And we talk about like the triad and I don't, and like, you know, like adoptive parent, the foster child and the, and the first family. And like, could we make a square? Like, could we also include bio kids in that? And so I'm just so happy that you're in that space, but what was it about your own experience growing up 
as a biological child in a family that fostered, like, what was that like for you? And what made you feel like, okay, there are some things that I maybe wish were different for me or, or maybe not that you feel like, okay, I could provide this now for kids. I can speak to this for these other kiddos. Yeah. I think there's two key kind of things that I, that kind of come to my mind when you ask that one is the adoption disruption that our family experienced. I think that I think again, I it's a big what if, right. But I feel like if my parents had been equipped with training, with like real raw understanding of what it could have been like or what it would, you know, I think that it could have gone differently. Mm -hmm. It's a big what if, right. But I know that they were doing the best they could with the information they had at the time. Right. And so I think that that would have made a big difference in that and which would have been my experience and the kids who had been placed in our home who then had to experience an adoption disruption. I don't pretend like I'm the one who had to experience the biggest pain here. I'm not not trying to imply that at all. But I think that that's one piece for me is I want people to be aware. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, not to, that it's not all sugar, you know, it's not all butterflies and rainbows or whatever. It's, it's hard and it's messy and it may not go how you want it to go, whatever that mm-hmm. might look like. So that's a big piece of that. So when you, how old were you when your family started fostering? I think I was around 10. Okay. So when you're 10 years old and did your family, did your parents like come to you and say, Hey, here's the thing we're going to do foster care. Or how did you kind of talk about it as a family beforehand? Yeah. Well, because it was matched adoption, it was a couple of years actually, because I'm the oldest. So I've got two younger brothers. And so we were like 10, seven and four or something like that. So they would talk to us. They'd even kind of let us know maybe some kiddos that they were thinking about to see how, kind of how we felt if they were older than us or what, it, you know, and that's, yeah, we were definitely involved to some extent. Mm-hmm. They certainly were asking us about the process and making sure that we were on board. And I mean, we were, we were, it's, I did think about the other answer to your question. Yeah. So kind of another, like why, what kind of makes you we're trying to provide for families. So another thing that comes to mind as a kiddo, my experiences is people just didn't know. And because they didn't know, they didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And because they didn't understand, they weren't empathetic to my situation. They didn't always believe my situation. They just, there was just a real gap in support that I then felt Mm -hmm. from friends that then felt like they maybe weren't friends or, you know, And so that's another big piece. It's just kind of the awareness piece. So it's kind of education and awareness are kind of the ways I see it as as breaking down. And it is because of my experiences. Absolutely. Hey, Foster Mama. If you want a safe space to process your feelings, answers to all your foster care questions, and advice for every stressful foster care situation, then join my new membership, Fearless Foster Mama, Once you join, you're going to get a once monthly live coaching with me via Zoom. You're going to get one audio meditation or visualization and weekly journal prompts and a self-care suggestion for each day of the month. You can stay signed up for as long as you like and cancel any time. If you're looking for more information or you know you want to sign up, you can go to fearlessfostering.com or check the link in my Instagram bio at fearless underscore fostering. What was really hard for you with your peers, would you say, in terms of if you could elaborate on that, just what people didn't understand what your family was going through or what you were feeling? Tell me more about that. Yeah, I mean, people as a kid, 
I was always a rule follower. <laughs> uh, that gives you a little insight into kind of what I'm about to say, but uh, I was always a rule follower. And so it was really hard for me as a kid to see my parents being disrespected or whatever, it, whatever the situation might have been. And if I made any kind of comment to a friend or to a, you know, a family friend, maybe an adult or whatever, I was rarely met with, oh, that sounds really hard. Mm. It was usually going to my parents, what is wrong with Daniela? Like, you know, why is she being like this? What is she angry about her? You know, and so there was just this really big gap in people understanding that I was allowed to have those feelings. You know, there wasn't a lot of validation. My parents, yes, I felt like my parents did a good job of making sure we had that support and an open, there was an open door and we could express any concerns we had. But kind of the outer community though, whether that be people in our church or whether that be people, you know, in sports teams, whatever it might've been, there was just not this understanding of the challenges that, that were there. Mm-hmm. That's so, I mean, that's just like, so I'm reflecting on that, as you say, just as a mama who's adopted two kiddos out of foster care and thinking about my older kiddos that are my biological kiddos, I just, I did see when we first started fostering, surprisingly, my older son who who expressed a lot of nervousness um, beforehand, he was like all in from the get-go once like my son arrived. But my other son who had expressed excitement about being a big brother, he started like regressing in like every possible way. And I was like, I was not prepared for that. And I'm like, yeah. you can be a social worker, you can be like whatever, but you just can still not be prepared. And I know, I know, yeah. so like, did that ever happen in your family with your siblings? Like, did your, did your parents, cause it's hard too, because you're dealing with the transition of having a new kid in your care as well as now, oh my gosh, now my kid is like doing all these behaviors that like they've never done before or they haven't done in years and it's hard for everyone. So how, how did you experience that if at all? Yeah, I think that my memories of it are more like subconscious. They're not like, I can't necessarily always pull a specific memory. Um, I mean, I probably can sometimes, but not necessarily negative ones. It's more just this general remembrance. Whereas my dad can tell me though, I remember when, you know, this happened. And so those instances, like you're describing, right? You're remembering what happened with your kiddos. For my parents, it was, whoa, Daniela is expressing like some pretty big irritation right now at somebody and this isn't like her or, you know, and so that was, I, I don't think that we regressed behaviorally, but I think that they saw this like unique, more like loudly expressed, just these louder emotions that we didn't normally express in that same way. And I think that that's what they saw more from us. Okay. And so, yeah, with that, like, what are some other things that parents might start to see in their bio kiddos when either any type of transition takes place in the foster or adoptive family, or just in general, like what if, what can we be looking for? Do you think? Well, with any change, there's loss. And, you know, with that can be any kinds of behaviors. Um, When a new person joins the family, the family system is going to change a little bit. And that means that people's roles are going to shift a little bit. And I talk about this more in my training too, because there's just like multiple roles. And I say they're maladaptive roles because they're really not effective at like managing the family's stress because there's still more there, right? It's going to take everyone to find equilibrium, not 
one bio kid shifting their role, right? But it could be the opposite of what parents think. In another training that I've taught in the past, that's not through me, but just when I taught at the foster care agency that I worked for or the child based agency, and we talk about like the responses to powerlessness and the things that that train talk about are um, aggression is one of those. And that doesn't have to be physical aggression. A lot of times we hear the word aggression and we think fighting, you know, punching or tantrums, you know, we think something like that, but it can be verbal, right? It can be just some sort of verbal aggression and also passivity. So it doesn't have to be these loud behavioral things. It can be that all of a sudden your kid is very compliant and all of a sudden they're not pushing any boundaries. And all of a sudden it's like, it's like they don't want to bother you. They just want to be, per- they know you have enough to handle, mm-hmm. you know? And so it can be misleading, you know, if we're not looking for the right things, it can look like everything's really great, but, but is it, you know? So that's where being connected to our kids is really important, right? Because checking in with them, otherwise we, we might miss it. Yeah. I think that I can see that very clearly, like as just someone who has recently been through it, it's like, you know, if, if there's like all these tops spinning and I'm trying, and I'm trying to make sure that everybody's got what they need. And it's like the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? So if the kid kind of pulls away and kind of does their own thing, it's hard to then remember sometimes like, Hey, I should be checking in with, with them. One thing that has helped me lately, um, cause I've just been more like convicted of this personally is like taking, uh, I used to try to do like one-on-one time with like each kid twice. It just like, is it going to work anymore with four kids? It just like, can't, I can't be done for me right now anyway. So I've been taking like the day of the month, that's their birthday date. And I'm like, whatever is happening that day, like at some point on that day, like you're going to get time with just mom and we're going to go like, do whatever you want to do just for like an hour, just to like get some time in. And I feel like that's when those conversations can happen. And my hope is, but I want your opinion on this is like, could that be enough? Or like, could you think of anything else too, that could kind of just like fill their buckets a little bit and let them know that there's still this open dialogue that can happen no matter where we are in our foster care journey. Yeah. I think that one of the key things, and again, not everybody likes to hear it because it's not tangible. It's not like, a play-by-play, here's the, the five steps you have to do to, you know, be successful in fostering if you have bio kids, but make, just building that relationship, right? That connection. I mean, you know how much connection means. And that is, I mean, that's it. Your kids knowing that they can say what they're feeling and your response is not going to be like, well, that's not okay. Don't you ever say that again. But realizing like there's a there's a need behind this behavior or there's like a need behind what they're saying. And so figuring out what that is, right? They might be expressing irritation or anger or whatever it might be, but there's something there. There's a reason for it. It's not just, you know, we can't just take it face right on the surface. So I think that spending time with kids and making sure that whatever they say is met with empathy and understanding um, is really important. But if we're not managing our own, all of those feelings, or when our kids come to us with those same feelings, we are going to have an adverse response because we haven't figured out how we can manage those. And so that's another, I think, really key part is in order to be open to what our kids are feeling, we need to be able to acknowledge and address that we might be feeling those same things. 
Yeah. Oh, that is such a good reminder always. I think that's so important. I know that you have done a lot of trainings, that you provide a lot of resources um, for parents who are in this world and, and on this journey right now. So tell me a little bit more about what it is that you're offering online and where people can connect with you. Sure. Yeah. So um, I currently put out free content, if you want to call that right, social media. Um, <laughs> put it out on Instagram the most, but there's some on Facebook too. Um, on Facebook, I'm like, it'd be, you know, facebook.com slash uh, with siblings TX. And then on Instagram, like you mentioned, I'm um, at with underscore siblings. And so that's just like the general free stuff, right? Like if that's what you want, there you go. Um, have at it. I also do have um, a PDF I've put together for parents. They can just download it at my link tree, which is linked in my Instagram profile, if you will. And it's a PDF of books that were specifically written for bio kids, like children's books. And there's actually a couple of workbooks on there. So some that would be appropriate for like teens. And, you know, these aren't books I necessarily say they're the best thing ever go out and buy them. But for so long, I didn't know they existed. And I think even a lot of the authors didn't know other ones existed. And so being able to put them together, there's over 10 books on the list. I mean, there's qu actually quite a few. And so that's another just like freebie, like go ahead and download it, pass it on, you know. Um, and then I've got three trainings that I've developed. And of course, I'm always developing more and adding and whatever, you know. But I've got three I am currently offering. One is for professionals. I, it's not the most popular, right? Because it takes the agency fully getting on board with it being this like holistic care provided mm -hmm. to families. But um, just on the experience of bio kids and how they can help, right? So it's not just the parents, but it's like the whole system wrapping around and realizing that we need to support the family. Yeah. Um, and then I've got two trainings for parents. One is just on like the experiences of bio kids. So parents really know what to expect and know what to watch for mm -hmm. and what kind of questions they can have as like open things that their kids can ask about and making sure that, you know, that's an environment that is welcoming for their kids. Um, and then also just talking about some of those tangible ways that parents can continue ongoingly supporting them and, and that sort of thing. So that's one of my trainings that's supporting your biological child, but I, but I currently have a title. Again, I'm always refining some of the change titles and, you know, <laughs> um, and then I have another one that I'm offering called grief loss in your biological child, um, because that's just another thing that we miss. And I know you talk about grief with moms and parents. And so um, but but bio kids experience that too in different ways. Grief for a kiddo who leaves, or grief over the all the ways their life have, has changed, and all the things that they've had to give up. So I've got those are the the trains that I've got offered right now. Oh, I love that! It's just such a great resource for for families to be able to to have the things that you're offering. So thank you so much for yeah. doing that, and I'll definitely make sure that we link everything up so that people can find you on Instagram your website too so thank you so much for being here i really appreciate it thanks for having me